Welcome to Behavioral Grooves, the podcast that explores human behavior through a behavioral science lens. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We like to explore the science behind our behaviors and decisions with the brightest academics and authors and practitioners to peel back the layers and to apply those insights to improve our lives. Our guest for this episode is the extremely passionate, dedicated, and infectious Donald Kelly. We've known Donald for some time, and he always makes two things happen for us. One, he gives us cool things to think about when it comes to how people can be more successful at selling. And two, Tim, maybe even more importantly, he makes us smile. (laughs) Oh, in a big way. Yeah. Donald has got pretty great EQ. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He knows how to read a room, that's for sure. Uh, But for those of you who don't know, Donald is the producer and host of the podcast, The Sales Evangelist. And boy, is he that. Holy cow. Donald is an experienced and successful sales guy who grew up in Jamaica, and he's one of those rare people who instantly and easily saw the connection between his dreams and the path to achieve them. Like he could see that selling mangoes could lead him to getting the ninja bike that he wanted so badly. And I saw that it was possible, Tim. I saw what that people were willing to give me money for a product, and then it hit, and I was like, wait. I went, there's another com- uh, store across the street, this family had a bigger store and they had this like ninja bike, like this guy on a ninja on a, on a motorcycle, like this rock. And I was like, man, that would be so cool. So I figured, how am I going to get money to do that? So the idea was maybe I can sell stuff because that's how I see that we make a lot of the money. So the thing that I thought about selling, I'm like, there's mangoes. People always like mangoes. And I remember climbing up to the mango tree and uh, my cousins would have me go pick mangoes for them. So I just realized there's a demand. People want the mango. So what if I were to pick the mangoes and put them out in front and try to sell them in the front yard? We also talked to Donald about some of the psychological underpinnings to what makes salespeople successful. You'll hear him talk about mindset a lot and even skills training. But there's one thing he says about being a good salesperson that I think is going to surprise you. And you're not going to tell us right now. You're just going to force us to listen and, and wait. I am doing the cliffhanger here, Tim. Uh. <laughs> but I'll give you I'll give you a clue. All right. So, uh, listeners, when Donald says, uh, "quote My definition of sales is when," and then you'll hear one of the most amazing definitions of sales <laughs> ever. That's all you got to okay. do. Just listen for the my definition of sales is when, and then you'll hear. Okay. All right. Well, for now, Groovers, we hope that you will sit back with a glass full of growth mindset and check out our discussion with Donald Kelly. Donald Kelly, welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Oh, thank you all so much for having me. I appreciate this. I'm excited to to talk to you all today. Well, we have been waiting for this for a while. You had invited us on your show, and now we finally get to have you on ours. So we're super, super excited about this. And as always, we start with a speed round. So the first question for you, Donald, is coffee or tea? Do you have a preference? I don't really drink either, but if I did drink one, I would probably go with like a, there's a passion tea that's, you know, Tazio or whatever, that passion tea, Starbucks used to carry it. Herbal tea. And uh, growing up in Jamaica, every once in a while, mint tea solves every problem. So they always have <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so if you don't, if, if, if coffee and tea aren't your main stays for, you know, your 
morning drink? What what do you drink? Just like the morning get up drink. Is it just water? Is it just you water? Know, or? Water, and then also I do smooth like a, a shake or a smoothie, like a protein shake that okay. gives it, you know, gives it some of the the energy. And some of them have a little bit of a uh, little you know giddy up in it as well. Like I'll add that to it, <laughs> but it gives it a little right. more of that, that energy. Right. So, yeah, fantastic. Okay, uh, l- let's say you have an opportunity to have dinner with your favorite sports star or your favorite musician. Which would you prefer? Sports star. I'll go sports star. And, and who would that be? Michael Jordan. Michael. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'll go old school here. I have a lot of questions. Yeah, that guy. man, that was a. It was a. It was fast, and B. It was you know pretty. Yeah. So what what is it about Michael that that intrigues you? There are several athletes that has that had this capability. That was you watching a game and you know at the end they're going to win. You just don't know what the score is. It's kind of like watching a movie. You know James Bond's going to win somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the outcome. But how it happens, that's what. That's the thrill of, it, thrill of it all. And there's a possibility that he couldn't win. But in the end. And that's what it always happened with like Michael Jordan. You're watching one of those games. I mean, at least in the era that I grew up watching him. Like you, you knew he was going to win, and and it's a killer instinct. It's the ability to to go to turn on when it needs to be, and I feel that that's a, a quality or skill that we could all hone. I was listening to a, a, this uh, speaker yesterday, and he was talking about you know think about those moms who have a kid stuck underneath their car or whatnot, and how you hear stories of how this like small lady is able to lift up a car and move her kid out. What makes a difference? Like what happens? And I think there's a whole bunch of ideas that you probably, you're the smart people probably could figure that out on the behavioral side and human <laughs> behavior and the brain and how powerful it is and the release of these like, you know, extra strength, so to speak. And I think certain athletes and certain individuals have been able to tap into that. Michael Jordan is one of those people I felt that did that well. And his mental strength and his capacity on that is, is really fascinating. And I would love to be able to learn how I can hone that more. And that'll be yeah. some of the conversation talks I would have. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm a huge NBA fan and have season yeah. tickets up here at the Timberwolves. And I've seen uh, there are times where you see certain players and you see them and they just decide they're going to take over the game. Yeah. And, and when they decide to take over the game, they take over the game. And Michael Jordan was one of those players that had that ability to be able to say, you know what? It's not going the way I want it to go. I'm going to just take over here for, for a couple minutes and then we're going to be right back in the groove. And so all of that kind of stuff is really good. So that's yeah, fun. Okay. This one may be a little off the wall here, but I was looking at your website and you had a, a thing that mentioned about whack-a-mole. And so here's my question for you. So how easy is a game of whack-a-mole if you know which holes the moles will be coming out of? Is it super easy, extremely easy, or just uh, so easy that, you know, a toddler could do it? Oh, um, I think, is it, what's the second one really easy? <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> I don't even that, remember. Yeah. <laughs> let's go with the second one because here's why. It will be easy. I would say that the second level, it's not like the the totally easy that a toddler could do it because what happens, I think sometimes we know something is, we know what to do, but we anticipate so much that we throw ourselves off and ah. we mess up. So I think you're still going to have people who mess up on that because they instinctively, they know what to do, but then sometimes they second guess themselves. And I think it, I would probably fall in that category. That's why I want to go have my conversation with Michael so I can be confident in my, in my, in my answers. <laughs> I teach a class at uh, Brigham Young University. I have a, a sales program that they developed their Idaho campus. And one of the classes is a, um, you know, one of the things I tell my students, they're like these, these young minds who are very unsure of themselves in so many ways. And 
one of the things as a sales professional, I tell them, you need to be confident. I want you to be confident in your wrongness. And that's the way I explain it. Like, I don't care if you're wrong. If you feel, we have a friend and I always give him a shout out. So I'm gonna give a big shout out to my buddy, Reggie. Mm-hmm. We'll play, like he's a big sports guy as well. And he always talks these sports trivia and he'll say these things and it could be wrong. You know that that is inaccurate. But he says it so convincingly that you're like, dang it, could it be right? <laughs> and you, you question yourself. And that's how I feel sometimes we fall in a category. If we know the whack-a-mole is going to pop up there, we sometimes have that tendency to question ourselves. And we need to just be sure in our wrongness or sure in our in our rightness. <laughs> it, well, it's interesting. You, you said this idea of anticipation can throw us off. Mm-hmm. And I think about in the musical sphere of musicians uh, playing big venues. Yeah, you know, I, there was a, right. There's an interview uh, with Bono at, of U2 before they play Red Rocks, and before they played, it's like he sort was sort of getting the gravity of really how big of a deal this was to play Red Rocks, even though it's just another concert venue for them. But yeah. it was deteriorating his confidence, just the anticipation of what this experience might be like. And he's a, he was a pretty experienced performer by that time. He wasn't yeah. a newbie. But context is really interesting. Okay, I, this uh, sorry about that. that is <laughs> uh, but last speed round question. Which is more powerful determinant of a person's success in sales? Is it that they're born that way or that they really train hard and work hard at their job. I was going to stop you after the born that way and say whatever the second answer is, because it's not the born that way. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, let's get into that because this is your area of expertise. So help us understand why, you know, we talk about natural born salespeople, but obviously that's not the case in your opinion. So tell us why. I think there are individuals that have the cape. Sales is about my definition of sales is helping someone to persuade themselves to do something that's in their best interests and for which I might get compensated for that, right? Mm. It's not something, and Gittimer said it, I think he borrowed it from someone as well, that people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. And in the traditional way that we've viewed salespeople based on what the media teaches us and the movies and society and life is that salesperson is going to convince you that you need to do it. And that's why people say salespeople sometimes are pushy and they don't like that. And in, in, in my experience, though, going back to this knowledge, like if that's the case, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be someone that helps someone persuade themselves to do something that's in their best interest. And that is totally trainable. In that vein, there's some people that have the capabilities to do that a little bit more so. So let's say, for instance, like you grew up and your family, you know, your family programming, you like our son is going up, uh, growing up with Montessori learning. Like yep. we, we're teaching a Montessori. So he's very confident in himself and very um, right now and his ability to, to do stuff and to ask questions. Like he's a two and a half year almost and he's asking these questions and so forth because of the way that we're programming him. So he's grown up that way. And does he have, you know, can somebody have some of those things in their early childhood that's going to help impact their way that they can perform later in the future? Yeah. And a seller that is great at asking effective questions is going to be great at sales. And some people have that capability. They just have, oh, go back to my buddy Reggie. He just has that ability to, he has a strong conviction. His voice, his diet, his, his, the, the decimal level he speaks at sometimes, he's just like, <laughs> this sounds so commanding. This answer must be right. And that could be the case. However, that is not the case that is going to make you a great seller. Those components may be helpful in, the, in, the, in a seller's uh-huh. capabilities, but to be trained on it is going to be the other way around. Because here's the other part. I got hired as a sales rep for a company. 
my sales experience came from me like growing up as a kid and also like my teenage years. And I had some stuff in my formidable years, like in high school and college where I got some, you know, tra- some edu- some real sales experience. However, I didn't have the B2B world side. I went into a company and they had a job description. I said, you need to have 10 years in software sales. And I'm like, this was back in 2010. I'm like, software's been around that long that you need to have like 10, 20 years. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> they said, you know, they took a chance on me. I went into the company and I sucked it up and I wasn't too good because it was a whole different world from business to consumer sale to B2B sales. However, I went through a training program and the individual that they did hire that did have that 10 years on top of me, I was able to outpace him and perform better than him in six months. Mm. It wasn't because of the skills that I was born with or any of those things was I took the training to heart that we received and I followed it to T. And I realized that there was a formula. If I could follow that formula, that would be even more effective, coupled with my natural abilities to be able to have conversation and look people in the eye. Those things didn't make me a great seller. My fast talking ability didn't make me a great seller. It was the process and was honing that process and following that process. And ever since then, I became a believer and I was like, this works. And I was started to talk about sales. Like, you need to do sales. You need to do sales. Sales works. And my buddy was like, you should do a podcast. And that led to another story. And we could talk about that some other day. But that's a long answer. <laughs> we might we might talk about that today. But I, I want to go back to one thing that you, you, you started off with, this idea that, you know, the, the popular media and variety of other, you know, places, they kind of paint salespeople, you know, often as the used car salesperson, right? That, you know, pushing a piece of junk on you that you don't really want and you're going to be, but you're you're feeling pressured into doing that. And it's interesting because I, you know, I'm in my 50s now and I had, when I was younger, I kind of believed that. And what has been really fascinating for me at owning a business, but as well as just working in business is I'm looking now and I'm going, salespeople have some of the hardest jobs in the world and they are super intelligent, bright, and the jobs they have are really important. It isn't, as you said, it is bringing information to people and educating them, in my mind, about you know what the opportunities are that they can have and solving their problems uh, with different pieces of that. So I, I find it interesting because there are so many salespeople out there, and yet that persistence of that, you know, used car salesperson is out there. I don't know if you, why do you think that is? Is there just a few bad apples or what? what is that? Yeah, I think there's a couple things to it. The first one is that the we are products of our environment. So we're going to do or behave what we see. I, because of that knowledge, again, growing up, no one ever told me that that's what a salesperson needs to do. I remember when I was in college, in high school, and our teachers shouldn't have done this, but we watched a movie called Boiler Room. Uh, if you remember that, Boiler Room back in the days, uh, yeah. Vin Diesel and so forth. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, they, you're not supposed to let kids watch that in high school. So we watched Boiler Room. And in this, they were they were convincing. They were like swindling these people out yeah. of their money. Mm. And that was like the, the crazy part to it. It was I didn't think it was right to swindle people. However, their ability to trick them like that and to be that persuasive, I was like, that is cool. That's what I want to see. That's what I would love to do. I would love to have that ability. And I remember going home in that week and I was like practicing and doing stuff like talking to people and trying to convince people to, to do things and to sell ideas. And it was 
subconsciously I absorbed that and and became doctrinal real that that's the way it was supposed to be. However, I didn't take a view at the you know the many different salespeople who were out there who were fully profe- who were professionals. Not until I got into the game, I wrote this. You know, one of the things I wrote about recently is like this idea that my view of sales professionals were to slick back hair. You had to know how to play golf. You had to do you know all these things. And <laughs> it was like that's when I got into the game though. Like there was none of that. Like obviously you had people go play golf, but they just go hang out with their friends and have conversations. But it wasn't like you had to be like this Wall Street guy that we saw in movies. And the mm. reason being, the second answer, second point to the answer is, one, so we absorb this because that's the way it's there. And two, because if you made a movie about a really good salesperson, I promise you, you're going to have zeros on Rotten Tomato. It's going to be the boringest movie in the world. It's like, you know, like what? This guy didn't, he didn't try to trick them. He just had a good conversation with them. They liked him. He wasn't loud. He was actually an introvert. Like what? Where's the plot twist here? Like it, it, it's boring, but that's what good sellers will do. They just have good conversation, help the person recognize the opportunities or education, and then they make the change. So I think the, so the go, go back to the long answer again is one that society shapes you because of the things that are around you or your environment. And then two, the uh, it's because you're never going to see a movie about a great salesperson. You always see, like, I don't know uh, Jordan Belford or whatever his name is, the Wolf of Wall Street guy. Mm-hmm. I have never had him on a show. I mean, I've contemplated reaching into him before because of his, you know, the celebrity status of it. But I saw his stuff and I'm like, I would never ever want to do any of his training because the guy went to prison for goodness sake for the things that he right. did. And I just see all of these memes of people who are just like so enamored and fascinated. I'm like, you're learning from a freaking con artist. Like that is not selling. Like what yeah, in right. that makes it like mm-hmm. so great? But it makes it's the entertainment factor of it. And I think that's a, that's a cool piece. I'm never, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see many corporate companies saying like, I hope bank of America don't do that. Uh, Wells Fargo, they got slapped on the hand already to say, Hey, listen, come <laughs> in, Jordan, you come talk to our team about, uh, about doing great sales training. I just don't see him no. winning a lot of the corporate contracts. <laughs> no. What was it in your childhood though? You started selling long before college and you were selling computers in college. You were selling before that. There was something that attracted you to it though. Tell us a little bit about that journey of of the, the sparkles of what was it that was interesting and when did you, what was the first mango that you sold? I was about seven years old, I think around seven, grew up in Jamaica and in Jamaica, the culture is designed like people have like little tiendas or little stores on the side of their homes and they sell like, you know, like a, a mini convenience store. So most people don't necessarily, the ed, education system is like phenomenal in Jamaica, but it's one of the biggest export that Jamaican has is exporting their people to like, mm-hmm. you know, Europe or to North America to take advantage of opportunities so they get great education. So in Jamaica, you get this great education, you can't really find that job. So people figure out and do whatever things they need to, to make the money. So that's what I saw. It's, I, I didn't see the sales. I just saw it as a, being a businessman, um, as we say in Jamaica. And I, my family had this store. And as a seven-year-old, I think that's when I really started getting like invited to come in and do some more stuff in there. But we would you know, unload the merchandise when they come and you put them, bring them to the store. But then I got to the point where I was behind the counter. Yeah, as a seven-year-old and you know, accepting money and uh, people buying rice and you're weighing the rice and you know, so forth. So I, I kind of got used to that. Again, product of the environment. And I saw that it was possible, Tim. I saw what that people were willing to give me money for a product, and then it hit. And I was like, "Wait!" I went. There's another com- uh, store across the street. This family had a bigger store, and they had this like ninja bike, 
like this guy on a ninja on a on a motorcycle like this rock and i was like man that would be so cool so i figured how am i going to get money to do that so the idea was maybe i can sell stuff because that's how i see that we make a lot of the money so the thing that i thought about selling i'm like there's mangoes people always like mangoes and i remember climbing up to the mango tree and uh, my cousins would have me go pick mangoes for them so i just realized there's a demand people want the mango so what if i were to pick the mangoes and put them out in front and try to sell them in the front yard and I remember doing that and I made no money. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> so you weren't instantly a millionaire? It was Donald the millionaire of selling mangoes. No, huh? no, no, not the case. <laughs> and then I, I, I upgraded to cookies. I went and got little baggies and put the, you know, buy a bigger pack of cookies and put them in little baggies. And it was right around this time. It was like Christmas time. So, so just, your response was, it, it's not me. It's the product. It's the product. <laughs> it's always the product. Come on. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I started trying to sell the cookies and I realized I ate more cookies than I sold. (laughs) (laughs) One of the bad things about having a really good product, if you end up, you know, consuming more of the product than you're selling, it's it's always, yeah. Yeah. So that was my early experience with it, but it it sparked something because it, it showed me that it was, it was the idea of that hope that it was possible and that it could be done. And I think for many of us, we, we all want to see something happen because then it proves us. Go back to our, um, go back to the four minute mile, right? Like we all thought, the whole world at a point thought it was, I mean, at least, um, what's the name? What's his name? Uh, Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister. There you go. Roger Bannister ran the four minute mile. And when Roger Bannister broke the mile, four minute mile, it showed the world that it was possible that our, that a heart didn't explode like, you know, mm-hmm. they thought or that human being couldn't possibly do that. So if that was possible, we could do so much and look at how high school kids have broken that record and so forth. So many people have broken it now. So the question now comes back to this thing. It helped my confidence level, like even to the point, I remember when I launched, went out of my full-time job and did TSE, we had a deal that went interesting and the house always wins. So the company, they changed the way the deal was and the company was getting a lot of the money. And I'm like, I worked on this deal for like a year and I'm not getting much. And then it hit me just like with that mango and with the cookies. I'm like, hold on. Like in the store that day in Jamaica, like, I could sell something and get my own money for it. Mm. And it was like, if I did this and brought all this stuff to the table or, you know, work with our team, if I'm able to do the stuff for these guys, why can't I do it by myself for myself? And that's what led to the crazy idea of now let's go sell mangoes again on the side of the road, but the mangoes <laughs> were sales training and um, it, it grew to where we are today. So anyways, wow. The wow. possibility, something is possible. So we, we talk behavioral science with, with you know, on, on the show and different pieces. And so I, I wanted to get your thoughts just on how important is mindset in the sales game, right? Mm-hmm. And it, as, you, as you think about this, and we talked a little bit, I think, about this, as you just said, when this whole conversation, but how important is that? And then what type of mindset do you, should you have if you want to be a really successful salesperson? I am trying to constrain myself at this point of not jumping up, but I really was going to jump for joy because I was hoping that you were going to ask some questions related to this. It is the, and I'm not saying this because I'm on your show, it is the most important part of any sales role is the mindset. Go back to the skill set component. We talked about that. Anyone could be trained on the skill set. Anyone could be, you know, help with that. The mindset component is where we can't get into your head and make it possible. We can educate you on that and help you. But it comes to a down where somebody needs to make that belief themselves that, that, again, it is possible. How many people came into that store in Jamaica? Or how many people in my family were, were in that store? How many people uh, you know, worked at a software company that I worked at and never thought like to say, they, they probably talked themselves out of it and said it wasn't possible. But I had this belief 
that if I did it, that I was going to succeed at it. And I think that's the critical component. And I've had other people who've gone through trainings just like I was in the same organization that didn't have the same outcome, same exact training, same exact understanding, same exact process, but they didn't have that belief that they could do it. And I think mindset is that critical component side. It is in everything that we do. I believe that anyone could sell. And I started saying that early on. Mm-hmm. And then I changed it, a, you know, probably about four years ago as well. I said, anyone could sell. And then I said, scratch that. Anyone can sell. I believe anyone can sell if they get the proper training, if they have the belief. Mm-hmm. And I put that belief part in there. So anyone can sell if they have the proper training, but they must have the belief first. So one, one piece that you talked about in there, and I think this is really key because we know this from behavioral science and psychology, is this idea that oftentimes people start off really gung-ho, right? It's like, all right, this is great. I feel really good about this. And then, as you mentioned, they hit that roadblock. They hit that first bump in the road and it derails them. And and they can't figure out how to get back on that road. And it sounds like you've you, some of your, your work is around not just getting them the belief in that mindset at the beginning, but all right, how do you face those challenges once you come into that, you know, it's a pandemic. Oh my God, nobody's going to buy. Well, no, there, there are people that are going to buy. You just have to, you know, rethink that. And so it's that roadblock that throws up that challenge and getting people across there over that challenge. How do you go about doing that? I mean, there's several different ways that you can go, that you can tackle it. And, 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 and I, I feel like I'm going up to a doctor and telling a doctor how to uh, perform <laughs> surgery because you all know oh. Oh, um, no, no, no. Um, but one of the things that I've seen is the self-talk that helps. And self-talk, I'll tie that back to the affirmation. Because if you go back to the product of your environment, right? I, I, I tell students this. I did a, um, I have a BY, at the class I'm teaching at BYU. And whenever I get on podcasts in front of a young audience or prof- uh, in front of individuals, I, I always tell them this. If there's one class I wish I could have taken back in college that I didn't do, would have been psychology or something on human behavior. Because that's all not all, but that's a huge component of the business world. So many people make decisions based on their human behavior because when it's all said and done, we may be the CEO of a company, but we're still human and we're still going to be impacted by those human beliefs. So our environment is a critical component for us. So go back to what I talked about with me growing up in Jamaica. Sales was a part of my life. So therefore it was a part of my environment. And then, you know, sometimes with the, view, the way we view salespeople is a part of our environment, our upbringing. So anyways, all of that is being said, when it comes to the mindset, if I'm around people or in environments that are going to impact me negatively, it's going to automatically perform in the way that I sell. So if I if I tell myself, the brain doesn't know any difference between if something's happening or not. If I tell myself that I'm a millionaire, I don't think my brain is going to say, well, Donald, let me just calculate and see. That. And it's like, oh, this is a, <laughs> it's a bigger picture of my brain right now. Like this guy really thinks he's a billionaire, a millionaire. Like this guy really believes that. So then all of a sudden my behavior start coming towards that. But if I have this negative or this limiting belief that no one wants to buy, then I'm going to find my reticular activating system get activated and it's going to say, program, Donald says, you know, people are not buying. Let's find some stuff that helps to validate that for him. So this RAS starts to work and it says, you see that article there on LinkedIn? Proves it. Economy is bad. You see that CNN article? Yeah, that's another one. It proves it. The world is coming to an end. And you see this over here that, you know, this person lost their job. You see, nobody is willing to buy because that's my environment. So when it comes towards a mindset, if you have a salesperson who are impacted by that and they're getting these negative things and the reticular activating system is pointing those things out to them over and over and over again, of course it sucks. The world's coming to an end. 
put on an ad the other side, you have a sales rep who does recognize that those things are there and they know that that's in challenge and look for opportunities to get the proper mindset go outside of that. They see the article on LinkedIn, but they also go and research like, why is that? And they see like four other reasons about other industries that are killing it. They're doing well. Like, holy moly. Well, the world may be not as bad as I thought. Maybe mm-hmm. they get with other people who have that positive thinking. You're the you're the product of five people you spend the most time your, your time with. So then now to see they're around other top performing sellers. What making you know Tim perform so well? I want to go talk to Tim. And now Tim's world is so different. So I'm leaving out of my negative world and I'm going to Tim. So then my reticular activating system starts pointing this stuff out. And this is where you use the affirmation that self-talk. One of the things we teach with the Pacific Institute is that when you create an affirmation, we're not making an affirmation of something that is going to happen in the future. We're making an affirmation of something that's future, but we believe is happening right now. And our Mm. brains become activated on that. So if I say, one day I want to be a billionaire, that's like, I can put it off. My brain is like, bro, that's way off there. But if I tell myself, I, um, I feel happy and confident knowing that I'm a billionaire, like now I'm my body, my brain starts to think, my subconscious, like this guy is telling himself over and over. I start to behave different. Maybe I start hanging around people because my brain's gonna be like, bro, look at this article about you know being a billionaire. Look at these people, these books, look at these things. And then once I start consuming those things, my world start becoming as if I'm a billionaire. And then all of a sudden I find these opportunities. I get lucky, quote unquote. My sales trainer used to, one of my sales managers used to said that luck is an intersection where hard work meets opportunity. So if you're in that, in that vein, you're going to get lucky. If you're around people who are billionaires, of course, you're going to get the billionaire thing dropped off on you. And it's the same exact thing. So this is why mindset is so critical. And sometimes I talk to these sales leaders and they're sitting there like this. They're like, how is it going to make my money? I'm like, they don't talk like that, but, but they do they, talk like that, actually. They talk like that, like, how is this going to make me money? <laughs> Mr. Kelly, I don't know if that, I wanted my boys to pick up the phone and make the calls. How is this? And it's like, you know, you can't measure your mindset. Like, you know, you can measure how many calls dude made today, yeah. how many appointments you get. However, you can measure the performance over time, and it's that soft skill that needs to sell. And then the other way I, t- I look at it, I say, who's your favorite baseball team or who's your favorite sports team? And they tell me, and I say, go look at those people's books, and they have someone on that team, their job, they're getting paid $300,000 a year, and they're getting rings just so that they can be the mental coach on that team. I have a friend that works for the Braves. He worked for the Braves, and now he works for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, and that's his job. That's his job. So if the best of the best in the world are doing that, why in the world is your team not doing that? Why don't we see this more? And I think in 20, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, when these are more, when we are, our our species evolve, hopefully, like a little bit further, we are going to see like, why, how in the world did we do that a hundred years ago, 50 years ago? Why in the world did we not take mental, our our emotional intelligence and our, our mental side so important as much as we took some of the physical things? And I'm going to stop there. Hey, Groovers. We wanted to take a quick break from our conversation with Donald to talk about a new handbook on leadership in this new age that we're living in. It's called Leading Human. If you are in sales leadership or in any type of management, Leading Human can help you address the challenges that you are facing in this new, not quite post-pandemic world. What separates it from many of the other workbooks out there is that it incorporates behavioral science throughout. Leading Human explores the human challenges, the stresses of working in a hyper-dynamic world, and not only provides insights on how to overcome those, but actually gives you exercises that you can do with your team to make sure that you are being the most effective leader possible. 
In this ever-changing world, having a deep understanding of how to apply behavioral science insights to your team is vitally important. Leading Human is a book in two parts. It's a playbook that provides you the insights on understanding the issues and the sciences surrounding them. And it's a workbook that gives you tools and exercises that can be used with your team to examine those issues and develop solutions. Combined, they can improve your team's habits, communication, psychological safety, and ultimately, their sales and other productivity. You can check it out at behavioralgoose.com under the products tab, and you'll see it highlighted there and you'll be able to download a free white paper as well. Okay, now back to our sales conversation with Donald. <laughs> that was like one of the best sermons I've ever heard. That was, <laughs> that was great. Pass the plate around now. Everybody exactly, around. exactly. I do notice that you picked Tim as your example of somebody that you wanted to emulate on the positive <laughs> side and not me. And I, you know what, Donald, you, you got that right. You got that right. So there you go. You're the next example. Yeah. <laughs> what not to, not what to, you just take, and then you look at Kurt. You want to make sure you stay far away from him. Don't, don't be Kurt. Uh, Donald, if salespeople can, can successfully develop that proper belief and mindset system, does it matter what they sell? Absolutely not. It doesn't. Go back to this. I, I, I say it confidently because of the clients that we've worked with and also because of the things that I've done. I've sold Dish Network. The very first sales gig was like the legitimate, not legitimate, also was legitimate, but like, <laughs> you know, like the real, when you're like, you know, yeah. I, I had to fill out an application for the job was I did a, I was in college and they had people going to timeshare presentation. I was like looking for inside salespeople and you call these families and try to get people to go buy a timeshare. Um, timeshare, you, you just get, we just got them to go meet with the sharks, what we call the, mm. the closers. Wow, what a lovely term to give them. <laughs> I know, yeah, I'm telling you, right? Wow. So, which is one of the reasons I have a bad image of some salespeople is exactly right? because yeah. of that. Yeah, there you go. And right. that's the way it was. So that's what we were you know, prone to. And, and that industry was like that. You're going to meet with these. And I would coach the people. Uh, we want, we got money, if I got the you know extra bonus, if people went to the actual event, so the next day we want to see if our the people we got went. So I would arm I would you know they might say yeah I don't know if I can afford it. I would arm them with the proper tools. I said do not tell them you can't afford it. Tell them that right now it's not something that I'm something I want to invest in. It's like all of a sudden like oh, uh, uh, they don't know how to answer that. But uh, so we would give them and they get the gift card and they were happy and we got happy. I got my little extra yeah. 20 bucks. <laughs> so that was the first thing. <laughs> so that was the Work first thing. Work in the system. Work in the system. Yeah. <laughs> the second I did, uh, we sold um, direct TV over the uh, phone and then eventually I went into manage IT, I mean, software training classes and then I was a server and then I went into, you know, selling EHR. I point out all of these things because as I'm telling you and I go into each of them, I remember the company and the team members and the people and the principles that made sense with all of those organizations. The same people that succeeded were the people that had the strong mindset, they had the strong emotional intelligence or that, that EQ, so to speak. And they understood and knew how to perform at a mental level before they were able to perform at a physical level. And I've seen that with myself too. Some of them I performed well in and some of them I didn't perform well. And once I was able to, and when I look back on it, it's when I, when I didn't, when I forgot the mental side, when I didn't do the, the mental um, performance, like go back to the, 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 when I really make, started making hockey stick in my performance, when I went into the B2B sales world, 
it was I came in with the desire to succeed and I wasn't like really succeeding, but I was performing well. The company liked me. They said this guy had some, he has that, that spunk. He has that attitude that, you know, going to help us help him be successful. So they saw that. This is why they were like, let's invest in him with training. Because once they gave me that formula of what I should follow, coupled with the belief, my performance just like took off. So we've talked about this before, you know, this idea that mindset is important and different things. And that's, those are all elements that come within behavioral science. And, and it's interesting. Tim and I, we just did a workshop um, not too long ago with about roughly, I don't know, 70 salespeople. And it was about bringing Robert Cialdini's influence, his seven pillars of influence in teaching these salespeople around these seven pillars. And Tim and I were really kind of nervous going into it. Going, Are there salespeople? They'll all know this stuff. What are we going to tell them that they don't know? And uh, within, you know, we got in there, we started, you know, I started the presentation and Tim asked the team, he said, so how many people have read Robert Cialdini's Influence? It's, you know, a best-selling book from 1984. It was, it's not like it's a new book. It's been out there. It has been there. We had one person, one person raised their hand. And, and so my, my question to you, Donald, is do you, was that just a unique one-off case? Because th- those happen, right? Or is this kind of, why don't salespeople if that is indeed the case, that many of them don't look at this kind of stuff, what what's keeping them from understanding the human side of things and, and, and learning more from the behavioral science perspective, from the psychology perspective, all of those factors? What do you think is keeping that down, if that's indeed the case, or we might just have been an anomaly in that in that situation? It's not an anomaly. And the answer is, I would probably say the company's success and we'll work backwards with that. I just brought on Seth Godin on a podcast. Mm. And one of the things that he said was that, he asked me a question about Google. He said, look at Google. Do you think that Google succeeded because of the salespeople? Or do you think Google succeeded because of the product? And mm. the simplicity of what Google had was great. I mean, it was the product that Google had that was able to help them. And oftentimes, sometimes we, you know, salespeople, we can attribute a company do great at marketing and do great at their have a great product and it makes it very easy to sell. So it's not necessarily the seller in some of those cases. And in instances where salespeople are doing well, that's why I go back to the company's success, the company's doing well, they have this fool's goal, a fool's idea that I am the one, the emperor's clothes, I am the one that made this possible, that I did this. And they're going to have the customer to come back year after year and the branding for Microsoft is still going to be strong. And it's going to be easy for those salespeople to do well. So then why in the world would I want to do anything with mindset? Why in the world? Because what I'm doing has worked and it's continuing to work. But you take that salesperson and you put them into another industry, they're going to have a challenge because the mindset is not strong where the product may not necessarily be a bomb, you know, be amazing and the brand may not be known. This is why the salespeople to have the proper mindset can perform that way. And usually you find salespeople also that they limp along. I had a trainer that says there's a lot of salespeople out there with selling for 30 years with one year of experience. And when he said that to me, I'm like, <laughs> wow, that doesn't make sense. Wow. And then I thought about it and I'm like, holy crap, it makes total sense. You've been selling for 30 years with the one year of experience that you've had because you've never had thought to add on to that. You never thought to read. You never thought to practice. You never thought because it's working. Why would I change something that's working? It's good already. Come on, why would I do anything better or do do more onto that? And that's where we need to help sellers to recognize. My, I have a client that I coach. He's an enterprise seller. And his one of the big things that he says, and, and it's a value that we have in our company, is that let's focus on 
getting better. We strive for excellence in all that we do. Like we have our podcast production studio and I have people who create, you know, my, my creative asset, uh, creative team that does, you know, our assets and so forth. I tell them, you guys create some personal YouTube videos that are like amazing. If you create something for me and it does not meet your personal standard of that excellence, do not push publish on it. I need it to be excellence in all that you do. And because of this, my client, he started to focusing on the moment. Like, let's not worry about my winning a, me winning a deal. Am I doing the best that I can with this email to help this client? Am I doing the best that I can to help this particular person? And now dude is getting hit president's club and he's getting uh, some bonuses and has opportunity in line for leadership. I mean, come on. It's the focus on the situation, focus on the now, become better at that, at the craft. As Seth Godin said, it's become great at juggling. You don't necessarily need to, you just need to become great at throwing like uh, or catching. I think that's the way he said it. You just need to be better, great at catching. And that's the in the moment thing now. And if you do that multiple times, then it looks beautiful when you're juggling. And the same concept with the sellers. We need to focus, help sellers understand that now is that your personal excellence, your personal best, Am I being the best person that I can possibly be? And some of those sellers who are making that 100000 a year without even trying, they probably could be making half a million dollars, but they believe that that's where they need to be and they're good and mm. they won't change from there. So their company success is causing them hindrance. So speaking of being in the moment, do you have a playlist that you use before you do a presentation or a pitch? Do you have it? Are there, are, is there music that you listen to to gear yeah. you up? Uh, tell you like so my jamaican roots come back to it so i have yes. like uh, yes. right now i have spotify which is a big one my chronics is a jamaican artist coffee uh she's a jamaican artist well young jamaican artist from spanish town where i'm from and she's like blown up on the worldwide reggae stage and then also there's a drake song and i die put the money in the grave <laughs> <laughs> You can take it with you, apparently. Huh? <laughs> you can take it with you. They, uh, I'm telling, put the bitcoins in there. I think they're taking bitcoins on the other side now. <laughs> it's digital money. Um, but and and then there's a uh, another one that I this artist called uh, the song called a box. And it, anyways, it's so I like a blend of like hip hop. I like a blend of like the reggae roots, some Damian Marley as well is a, another component. Um, and yeah, it just puts me in the zone. And when I'm able to be in the zone and you, and I go back to the visualization, I visualize myself, whether it's on a stage or whether if it's like, you know, in front of a client or whether it's front of like, you know, like, you know, making that cold, that, that cold outreach or utilizing, like if I get in the zone, the performance becomes great. My coach that I have, and she helped me, I performed at the semifinals for the world championship of public speaking with Toastmaster. And my coach, she always just like, you know, she worked with me on that. She's like, just get into the zone. I told her, you know, sometimes I was nervous and we would do like the wonder woman pose, like just get, <laughs> close your eyes, get into the zone and have your blood and everything. Just like, you know, just be open. Everything's flowing and picture yourself, visualize what you want. And that always helped me to perform well. So the music and that visualization. Very cool. Donald Kelly, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Today was absolutely no less that. Thank you for being a guest on Behavioral Grooves. Well, I appreciate this, Tim and Kurt. You guys are amazing. And thank you for coming on our podcast as well and bringing value to our community. I know they really enjoyed it as well. We'll put all of this in the show notes and, and other things and probably in the intro as well. But you do have a book that is in pre-order right now that you can come out. You want to talk, just talk a little bit about the book and why people should go out and pre-order. Um, because I'm Donald freaking Kelly. So you should order. <laughs> uh, if you need more justification than that, it's there's a, 
I grew up again, as I shared in Jamaica, and one of the things like that mango story, there are many people who sold peanuts and sold mangoes and sold like trinkets. And it was like all the same exact product. And when I was coming up working with my book coach, he was like, let's talk, do some uh, mind uh, mapping. And when we were doing all these things, he was like, talk about your Jamaican heritage. And we did mind map going around that and flowed. And then all of a sudden, and we groove, we're grooving. And then uh, he was like, Listen, there are a bunch of books out there on how to do cold call and how to do cold outreach and so forth. Those are, there are a bunch of books like that. What you have that's going to be a little different is your story. Let's talk about that. And then I told him about the mango thing. And he was like, man, just sell it like a mango. And I forgot how it came to, but it just, it made sense. Like, think about these, these people who are selling the same exact products. They all sell the same exact thing, but they're able to sell it so uniquely well according to their level um their capabilities so and that's what the titles call so and we focus a lot on new sellers and folks challenge you know having difficulty so sell like a mango a new seller's guide to closing more deals and whether you're a b2b sales rep or you're b2c you're going to have competitors selling the same exact product that you're selling what makes one mango sellers more successful than the other the principles we outline in the the 12 chapters um each chapter tackling one of those different principles and we're, we'll share that those secret with you, so you can pre-order it right now. It, it goes, uh, it's uh, it gets published. We're our publisher, Sound Wisdom, and uh, they set up a beautiful page on Amazon, and uh, you can get it pre-ordered. There's a Kindle pre-order as well. And Fantastic! It'll all be available in May. So, all right. Yeah. Well, we will. will definitely. I know. I will. I will pre-order. Absolutely. It, so, so there Absolutely. you go. <laughs> thank you, Donald Kelly. Thank you. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our discussion with Donald, have a free-flowing conversation, and talk about whatever else comes into our naturally selling brains. Yeah, yeah. He he certainly is persuasive and letting us know that pretty much we're all kind of built for selling. We're all built for persuasion. We're all built for trying to get things that we want. That's that's a good place to start, Kurt. Yeah, well, I agree. So this goes back to the very beginning when his definition of sales, right? It's is helping someone to persuade themselves to do something that's in their best interest. So this is the idea that, look, if you're a human and you're a human that has any concern for other humans, you're just (laughs) really sales and just life in general is you're helping to persuade people to do what is going to be best for them. And if you think about sales in that manner, Right. That I think is really cool because that gets into, you know, mindsets and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit, too. Yeah, it, it, it he certainly emphasizes this idea that persuasion is natural and native. It's part of our DNA. Everybody has a sense of persuasion. But I think that he also says that without the proper training, right, without without some skills, that you can really go off the rails. You can fail ethically. You can, you know, you can fail on a variety of levels. But, but without proper training, I think it's a, it's an important thing to just remember that sales professionals are sales professionals. Maybe because they have a a natural self selection to, uh, and are inclined to do that kind of work. But most of them also go through some kind of sales training to become professional at what they do. So we all can sell, but. The actual only people who can take orders are people who actually are trained to do it. Well, you know, Dan Pink has the the book, you know, To Sell as Human. 
And yeah. you think about that, and it's it's similar in in nature to what Donald is saying here is that there is this natural inclination anytime that you're you know negotiating with your children, anytime that you are trying to get your friends to go out to this place versus that place or to go mm-hmm. out in general, any of those are all these persuasion elements that are selling in in a certain sense, right? We are trying to get somebody to do something. And the idea, that you can do that effectively in a corporate world. Yeah, there are those natural born salespeople and some people are probably more inclined to be doing that better than others. And there's a number of psychological factors of if I'm asking you to do something, am I forcing you to do something that you don't like? And you know, does my personality match with that? Or am I truly having the mindset that I'm helping you? All of those things. But that training part is key. This idea that we, to understand and to be a better salesperson, there should be some training around how you do that, how you do that ethically, particularly as we think about some of the behavioral science components that go into selling these days. And how do you do that effectively? So it's, you know, effective and ethical. Yeah. Vanessa Bonds Mm -hmm. in her book about this idea that we have more influence than we think is a very powerful and potent concept that in especially in these person to person one on one experiences that we have po- hopefully post pandemic right yeah. that that we're there is a lot of influence that can happen in those situations and without the proper training those kind of situations can be abused right yeah and this is interesting so you we've worked on this uh, with a company about some code of conduct and this idea of bringing a yeah. code of conduct in And it's not just to sales, right? This is about a corporate code of conduct, but having some of those guardrails in place, because we do have more influence than we think, right? Vanessa Bonds. And sometimes we don't even realize the influence that we have, and that can go off the rails on a bad way too. So, but we digress here, you know? Well, yeah. And the other thing that's sort of related to this is mindset. Yeah. This whole idea that he starts his definition of sales as you said earlier, it's helping someone persuade themselves. This is about us adopting, the, the seller adopting the mindset that I am a seller, that I, I can get some things done, that I can help them live better lives. I can help them be whatever, help the person that I'm selling to. I can also help myself, but it takes a mindset, a proper mindset, I think, that not everybody has. You know, that that we have to adopt it. We have to persuade ourselves first and foremost. Yeah. And I think we need to do an entire episode on mindset coming up because mindset is just this wonderfully nuanced and lots of really cool research going on with mindsets right now. But I think this idea that the mindset that we come into any situation, whether if you're in sales or if you're just uh, doing a regular everyday business, has a much larger impact on our performance and how we then do, partly because our mindsets are a way for us to help shape how we experience the world and how we interpret the world. And so if our mindset is a half full glass versus a half empty glass, it changes the way that we then approach the world, interpret the signals that we get from it, 
and thus the behavior that we elicit after the fact. No kidding. Is is the shake that I'm drinking a really heavy fat content shake that's going to fill me up? Or is it just this really light, low calorie super thing that isn't going to fill me up and I'm probably going to get hungry in 20 minutes anyway? Yeah. And mindset and makes a difference. Mindset makes a difference. And for those of you who don't get the reference, Ali Crum did some fantastic research on different mindsets and actually the physical changes that our body does and some of the hormones and gut hormones that we are released in that kind of thing. And they're different yeah. based upon our mindset of going in. Do we believe that this is a, a fattening, thick, heavy shake or a light, you know, nutritious diet shake? And it's the same shake. And yet the way that our <laughs> right. bodies respond is different from that. And I think, again, this is the wonderful thing. Like Donald probably doesn't know the science behind this, right? No. But he's tapping into that science. It's that's the accidental behavioral scientist that we always talk about. That the world that we live in is a large experiment, and, and every day that we're going out there, we are we are doing our own experiments on what works and what doesn't when we're talking with other people and how that impacts them and how how our own self shows up. And those are really important things. And mindset is at the top of that in my mind. I think it's just key to really being a tool that we can use effectively to help us make ourselves to have a better mind, a better life, excuse me. Let's call that episode Mindsets on Fire. Ooh. <laughs> Mindsets on Fire. Or maybe not. Why, why not? I like it. Also, anyway, anyway, okay. Well, speaking of cool things that Donald sort of knows intuitively, much like the way the, the restaurateur knows that uh, it's important to seat the early patrons near the window to make it look like it's full for the sake of social proof, Donald certainly keyed into this idea that intrinsic and extrinsic motivation are important. Oh, my God, yeah. And I loved, loved, loved the story of the ninja bike and selling mangoes. Yeah. Like, he took some joy in some intrinsic motivation and joy out of the idea of picking mangoes. He was already doing it for his, you know, I think as he said, his cousins were like, you know, go up, you know, climb the tree and get the mangoes. And he's like, yeah, I'll go do that. And then he started to realize, well, wait a minute, it's a value to them. <laughs> maybe, maybe I could make some money from it so I could get the extrinsic motivator, the ninja bike, yeah, which is such a fantastic motivator. And, you know, when you're a kid, I just love that that he kind of cues into both of those things. Well, which is an important piece. And oftentimes I think you and I have seen this, that, you know, corporations often forget that there are two types of motivation when That's we right. break that down and are solely focused on the extrinsic motivators. And yeah. the way that you can set up your sales incentives, the way that you can set up your pay areas, um, the way that you can set up the job itself that people are doing, that there is a way of doing that that can tap into both. And if you structure those correctly, then you are going to get a much higher output. If it's sales, if it's HR, if it's engineering, right. it doesn't matter. But, you know, again, Donald tapped into that kind of intuitively. And I think most people do, but sometimes we get so... Um, myopic and on the way that we look at things that we, oh, yeah, I know there's intrinsic out there, but the only lever I have to pull is this extrinsic one. So that's what I'm going to do. And that I think is bad yeah. from a corporate perspective. So yeah, uh, agreed. That's, that's a really great comment. Uh, there was one other thing that uh, about mindsets that, uh, that just came to mind. And that is, 
and he didn't say this specifically, but you get two things that come from the proper mindset. You get goal orientation. Mm. You get a sense of this is what I want, right? There is something that I want. My mindset is going to sort of orient my thinking. You know, he talked about this idea of you're kind of looking into the future and you start to have this, the second part, this confirmation bias mm. that comes naturally when you're really focused on doing something. You start to see the things that are self-fulfilling and and reinforcing, I suppose, actually is better than a word than self-fulfilling. They reinforce your goals. And, and that's an important part of it. And boy, he's a, he's a big believer in this. Yeah. If you didn't catch that from his enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it, it, that's a great point. It's this idea that your mindset then actually infects, again, how we view the world and what neuro pathways in our, our brain are more likely to be activated by um, the next situation that we're in, which leads to goals and our goal, you know, perspective. So fantastic stuff. So, all right, Tim, I think we've covered the most important points of our discussion with Donald. What do you think? I I hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I hope we have. I, I think it's worth reiterating that the mindset is possibly the biggest inhibitor and the biggest enhancer of sales success, according to Donald. Yeah, that, that it is. It's a, that and good training, right? This idea to, to yes. think that it's foolish for anyone to believe that you can be successful at something with only a good mindset, right? If I just think about this and have a positive attitude, it's going to be great, right? It takes expertise as well, and it takes good training, and you need time and energy and focus to be able to acquire that. Yeah, and you know, it's also worth noting that uh, there's a couple of wonderful psychological benefits that come along with the proper mindset, like goal orientation and confirmation bias. Those can be really, really positive things. We often talk about talk about confirmation bias as a, a negative thing, yeah. but it can be a good thing. Yeah, you can use confirmation bias to your advantage when you have dreams of doing something that is not in your wheelhouse at the present moment, which is, think about that, right? We always yeah. think of confirmation bias, and I've been of this, right? It's the mother of all biases I've said before. It's always negative. And, <laughs> right. But you know what? If you're purposeful about it, you can you can help and use the mindset to look at things so that you're confirming um, that you're going to be successful. And that goes a long way in helping you reach your goals. Absolutely. So with that, Groovers, we hope that this week you take some of the very, very passionate words that Donald Kelly shared with us and apply them to your world. And we hope that in some ways they help you go out and find your groove.